come out of verse of Scripture that's found over in the book of uh, Thessalonians. And what it says is, it says that we don't sorrow as others that have no hope. And you know, I, I really believe what that really means is, is this. We're different people. And as this whole coronavirus has come upon us, we ought to be different people. We ought to show a difference towards this whole thing that's happening. There's a lot of people that are, as this thing continues, they're going to be filled with more and more anxiety and more worry. But we ought to be different. And one of the things that I just simply want to talk to you about this morning, if I can, is I want to talk to you about why we worry. Why do people worry? Why do people have anxiety? And, and it's a lack of understanding. And I want you to see this. But I also want this to be the positive side on this. Why we don't have to worry. Why we don't have to have anxiety. And why we don't have to have or uh, to be uh, upset and, and worried about what tomorrow is going to bring. I want to read a, a portion of Scripture that Jesus, as He was talking to His disciples, found over in the 12th chapter of the book of Luke. And we'll start there with verse 22. Luke 12, verse 22, and we'll go through verses 34. And listen to what the Word says. Then He said to His disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which they neither store a storehouse nor barn. God feeds them of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can one cubic of his stature, can add one cubic to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow and neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you, even Solomon in his glory is not arrayed like one of these. If then God has so clothed the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will He clothe you, O ye of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms and provide for yourself money bags which you do not grow old and treasure in the heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. Where your treasure is, or where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity I have.
I have a 40-pound bulldog that seems to probably weigh 220. He's probably just about, you know, barely six, six months old. He has a vicious bark, but he's afraid of the fly. Now, mostly with other dogs, he can hold his own. But the other day, a, a gentleman who was one of our neighbors about two dozen doors down, they came walking out bringing his garbage out. I was outside with Tobias, and Tobias, our dog, and he was watching. And all of a sudden, this man's little dog came out. And he has a little terrier, just a little bitty one. He's only about a third the size of Tobias. And Tobias saw, finally he looked and he saw this dog, but he just made a beeline for him because he loves other dogs and he wants to play with them. He got about halfway down there where this little dog saw him, and he comes at Tobias barking like crazy, running straight at him. Tobias turned his tail and ran straight at me and ran back to me and got in between my legs. Scared to death of this little bitty dog. And when I saw that, I just had to stop and, and, uh, and I thought about something, and I thought about how that the Lord has instinctively put into animals when trouble comes that they run right back to the master that they need to be. And when trouble comes for us, uh, we seem to have a hard time coming to the Lord. And when we don't, uh, it produces within us all kinds of anxiety about the things that we're facing. But yet, we want, I once read uh, from the, you know, we, we just read from the teachings of our Lord Jesus he said in verse 22, he said, don't worry. Someone has said that worry is the small trickle of fear that meanders through the mind until it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. A great old preacher that I heard preach back in the 1970s, and I, I listened to him preach, and I don't think there was a sermon he preached that even had a tear running down his cheek from a man by the name of John R. Wright. He was probably in his 80s at the time. Here's what he said. He said, worry is putting a question mark where God has put a period. Worry is the interest we pay on tomorrow's troubles. But you know the greatest reason not to worry? The greatest reason not to worry is the disciples came to Jesus once and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. What they really meant was, Lord, teach us to pray the way you do because when you pray, things really begin to happen. And in Matthew 6, he tells them, he says this, he says, in this manner, therefore, pray. And then he says this. Here's how you pray. Our Father, which art in heaven. Our Father, which art in heaven. Pray, Father. Oh, I know that one phrase is familiar to us, and we say it so often. But yet, just stop for a moment and just think. Because, because there's, that's one of the things that really upset the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that Jesus taught them His Father. They could not understand that. They would not even write the Word of God in full. Well, they had to, they left the letter out in the middle before. But now Jesus comes and He says, Our Father, God of the universe, is our Father. Jesus said in John 17, 26, I have declared to them your name. All the names of God were always written. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, all those different names. But Jesus said after that, I've declared your name. And what was that name that He declared? God wants to be a father to us. By the covenant, He wants to be a father to the fatherless. When Mary was standing at the tomb and, and Jesus told her to go back to the disciples after she realized He's resurrected, He said, go back and tell them, I go to my God and your God. And then He says this, and to tell them, I go back to your father and my father. 
be a good father, the best father, the perfect father. He is so good. He's a good father. He's the best father. He's the perfect father that's so loveless and willing to guide us, to forgive us, and to comfort us. I once read uh, uh, a book written by Dr. Robert McGee years ago, and it was called Father Hunger. One of the things he stated in that book was this. He, he stated simply that the first understanding of a child of who God is is from their father. The first understanding of who God the Father is is from is from their, their, their earthly father. And is it any wonder why so many have a misapprehension about their heavenly father? About why they don't really see him who he really is? And maybe growing up you didn't have that kind of father. But if you have come to if you've come to Jesus, you do now. You have a perfect father. And he wants to be your father. Why? Because Matthew 6.32 says, Your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. You know, he's, in other words, what does that say? It says that God who loves you takes time to discern all the needs that you have, what your needs are. So in this time of coronavirus, I want you to understand something. That God is discerning what your needs are. Not only what your needs are, but what the needs of your family are. And he warns us in Matthew 5.34, but he says, I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven nor on God's throne. And, and here's what he's saying. He's saying, yes, he is our Father, but don't treat him lightly. Well, the Bible says that the beginning of wisdom, you know, is, is, is the fear of God. Well, you know, I had a fear of my earthly father. I, when I was growing up, I knew he could, any time he wanted to, he could dust my britches off. But that was not the fear that I really had of him. The fear I really had of him was simply that I didn't want to disappoint him. That's the kind of fear that we have when the Bible talks about the fear of God. It's a it's a godly fear. It's a fear that we, we want to we, we don't want to we don't want to dis, disappoint him. So but we can't he's our father, but we don't he's not a gray headed uh, old grandfather sitting in heaven just to give us what we want when we want it or a a, 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 a Bank machine anytime we need one. Yes, he's our father, but he's saying, don't treat him lightly. Yes, he wants to be involved in your life, and yes, he, he, he wants to help you. But remember this, when, when we come to, when we, remember when we, when we came to Christ, Romans 8, 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Abba, Father. Romans 5, 5 says, How now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's given to us. Why not worry over this coronavirus? Because our Father, you ought to trust Him. Trust Him. That's the number one reason. God loves you so much. Why worry about it? He's got you. He's got you. So at least at this, if we at least know something of the, do we do we at least know about the providential care of our Father? Then why do we simply worry? Why do we worry if we know the providential care of God? If we if we when we come to God, if we early understand how He's going to care for us, why do we worry? Worry is the failure to understand divine priorities. Let me repeat that. Worry, when you worry, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, 
it's sin, I think, that some people just sort of like a pet. They keep it around sometimes. But worry is, is, is failure to understand the priority that God has for you within your life. Listen to the statement that Jesus makes in Luke 12. In verse 22, He says this. He says, Do not worry. He said to the disciples, Therefore I say, you Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about what your body, what you will put on. Then in verse 29, He says this. He says, Do not, do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink or be, have an anxious mind. And then He says this in verse 32. And I think this is true of the time that we're living in. And there's a lot of fears going on. Not only fear of the virus, but there's also fear of financial disasters today. But listen to what he says in verse 32. Do not fear, little flock. I always love it when God comes to us and teaches us that He calls us His children. I read those verses that Jesus talked about that when somebody were to harm one of His little ones, it would be better, it would be better that a millstone tied around their neck and be cast in the sea instead of there. And I think we think that if somebody harms one of our little bitty children, and I, and I really believe that. And I, 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 man, I, I would not want to be those people who is one of these daddies that when they stand in front of God supporting abortion or, or other things like that. I, 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 man, I wouldn't want to be that person. But, but he, he tells them little, calls us little children, and I, little children. And yet I go over to First John, and he first thing he says, he says, little children, fear not. You're that little one. You're the one who cares for you. You're the one who loves like He does. And 12 times, Jesus in Scripture, He says, don't be worried, don't worry, and don't be anxious. That's what He says 12 times. I understand people's concerns during this unprecedented time in our country and our concerns. I understand why people are concerned, and I understand why they worry, and I understand why they've got anxious moments and all this stuff. I do understand that. I understand why people worry and have panic attacks. It's frightening to be dangling in this uncertain time, feeling alone and not being able to do something about it. And I understand, I even go as far as I tell you this, I understand why people take drugs and drink alcohol and go on binges. I understand that. And I remember when I was teaching drugs and alcohol that the first step of a person getting off of them was this, and that was finding out why you're doing it. Finding out why you, why do you do this? Why, why, do you, why, do you, why are you so addicted to this? I, I know that it has a, a physiological part of it, but, but why have you gotten yourself down this road? I began to understand the first thing was this. It, one was they've had some, many people have had a catastrophic event to happen in their life, and something that, that was just was, was devastating, and, and and in, in order to keep their mind off of it and, and turned away from it, they they used pills, they turned to pills, and they turned to alcohol. I, I understand that. I understand the others that couldn't handle stress, just the, the stress of life, and so they, they turned to that. And then, but, you know, and so that was the reason. But here's the third thing, the reason. The, the, the third reason that people had to find out why they were doing it was they did not see their self-worth. They didn't understand how valuable. Did not Jesus teach us that we are to love our neighbor as what? As we love ourselves. And that meant that they, they did not know, they, they didn't see their self because they did not know that God loved them. And that's from where we get our self-worth. My self-worth does not come from what I achieve, what I do. My self-worth comes from Christ. 
because all those other things can be taken away from me. But my self-worth in Jesus Christ can never be taken. Can never be taken away. Some don't have trouble with substitutes, but they use other means to block thoughts, like binge shopping, just try to fill their mind with other thoughts, or, or do crazy things just, just to take their mind off their problems. And now, with the coronavirus, you can't get out of the house, and it makes it even worse. You gotta, you know, some of you probably have found a child you didn't even know existed in your house now because you've had to stay there all the time. And others are proposing through philosophy or psychology or other mythic religions a mind over matter approach where you can go to your happy place and you, and, and you ignore the problem. Just ignore. Is that what we teach in Christianity? You know, you know, what, you know, I would ask the person who's teaching that, what is the difference to what you're teaching? Just ignore it. Go to your happy place. What's the, what's the difference of that and the person who has substitutes? You know, he's trying to get away from it. You're just telling them to ignore it. But that doesn't help the problem. You come back. When they come back, the problem is still there. You see, the difference for the child of God is he can come to his heavenly Father and he can be brutally honest with him. He can tell him everything, even how he feels. You might as well tell him. He already knows what you're thinking, even before you say it. So you just tell him. Be brutally honest with him. Tell him he, he can handle it and give it to him. What you know? And, and and the difference is when I give it to him, he's the one that can actually do something about it. He can do something about it. We're living in one of the most indulgent, prosperous, lavish societies ever known to man. Yet we're the most stressed out of any society that we've ever seen. We, we worry and we're anxious about everything. And we thirst for others' approval. You know, if I don't get that little thumbs up when I do something on Facebook or something else, or, or I, you know, I, I, I'm a whole while, a whole day destroyed. I'm not trying to be funny. Worry is the most deadly, effectual thing we can take into our body. Listen to what the psalmist said. The psalmist said in 127.2, it says, It is vain for you to rise up early, to set up late, to eat the bread of sorrow, so he gives, but he gives his beloved sleep. Some of you don't sleep. Why? Because you're worried sick about things. I read where a man worried that he would die of cancer because the society was, in the society he was living in was so prevalent with it. He worked for three years and he died of a heart attack. Another study of a woman worked for 40 years and she would die of cancer. She finally died of pneumonia at age 70. She wasted 32 years worrying about the wrong thing. I once heard that worry is like a rocking chair. Gives you plenty to do, but you just don't get anywhere. You know, the, 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 he tells us this. Jesus talks about our life, and he says in Luke 22, then he said to the disciples, that's what I say, do not worry about your life. He's talking about life. Notice the word life, for he is the one and the only one who gives us life. So what's he talking about life? What you eat, what you wear, shelter, all of it. That's life. So he says, don't worry about your life. Philippians 1.21, for, for me to live, then it comes down or Philippians, what for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Life is Christ. Christ is life. Christ is life. John 17, 3, this is eternal life. That, that you may know, what's eternal life? That I may know Him. Jesus is tied into life. If you 
you know, if you don't have Christ in your life, then guess what? It's just existing. That's the difference. That's the difference. It's existing. Then he finally comes down here in verse 32. In verse 32, he says, Do not fear, little part, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you your kingdom. You know what some of you are worried about? Some of you are worried about whether or not you're saved or not. That's what he's talking about. He talks about life, and now he's talking about salvation. And he says, Faith, good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God wants to give you the kingdom. God wants to see you saved more than you want to be saved. He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repent. He wants to save you, but He wants to nail it down in your life so you can get on with your life. There's some people that are, they came to there, they, they gave their heart to Christ, but they're still so uncertain about things that they never get anything accomplished for the kingdom of God. You've got to nail it down. That's why He says over in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you who believe on the name of the Son of God in order that you may know God wants you to know. And then get on with life. Man, nail it down. You know, a couple of places in the Bible tells us that we ought to, we ought to examine ourselves, whether or not we're in the faith. If you want to do it, then once you do it, get on with your life. Get on with it. And so he says, not only do I want to take care of your life, the needs of your life, but I want to take care of your, of your, of your salvation and things. I don't want you worrying about that. You know, if you're a Christian and you've studied at all, then you should know that anxiety and worry is about a lack of faith. I said, worry is like a pet, a pet that you have. It's a lack of faith. So if you worry and you're a Christian, then you know worry is a sin, not a mistake. Some people say, you know, as a Christian, you don't sin when you make mistakes. No, they say that it's a sin. If you say you don't sin, you commit mistakes. But look what Romans 14, 23. Here's what he says. For whatever is not a faith is sin. Worry is a sin. Being anxious. So worry on our part is a failure on our part to understand that worry is a failure to understand the divine priority. You are a priority to your Heavenly Father. You're a priority to God. Anxiety-free living is what the gospel offers and is part of what we have. So failure to understand God's sovereignty is a failure to understand His love for us. You know, when I go through things, you things I always try to remember. The moment it hits me, I slap myself in the face when I'm in the center of the moment and just remember, what's the first thing you've got to, whatever you're going through, what's the first thing you've got to remember? God loves you. He said He loves you with an everlasting love. An everlasting love means it goes on forever. He loves you. The second thing is He's good. Worry then is a part of our understanding. Part of our understanding that the, that we are a priority to God. You know, and and, to, uh, and so a failure to understand God's sovereignty is a failure to understand His love. Failure to it is a failure to understand His sovereign care for us. It is a failure to understand His sovereign resources. And Jesus says about us, understand this, the ravens, how much more value are they than the birds? Then he says over Matthew 10, 29, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? Listen, a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without God's permission. Did you not miss your value? 
Luke 12, 27 and 28, you know, he says, How much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? So it's possible that your life is full of anxiety and worry and fear because of the ignorance of God's Word. You've got to know what He says. This is His, this is his Word. This is how God feels about that. This is His will for us and His plan for you. Do you realize He has a plan for your individual life? Let me say it again. He has a plan for your individual life. He has a hair scattered on your head. The great, one of the greatest greatest things that the Lord ever gave us was His Son. Do you know what the second thing is the greatest thing that God ever gave us? Your individuality. You know, and I think about that verse of Scripture over in Romans 12. And I didn't get this to you guys, but in Romans 12 it says, it simply says this. It says, it says, And be not conformed to this world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might be able to prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Well, what does that mean? It means saturate yourself with the Word of God. And be not conformed to this world. Don't let Hollywood and all these other places put you into their mold. Why? You miss out on God's individual plan for you. He's got a plan for your life. Your plan may not look like my plan and, and may not look like anybody else, but it's individual. God, He was created for your glory. For His glory, for His building. So, it is possible that your life is full of anxiety, worry, and fear because ignorance of God's Word and His plan for you. But you know, all this worry and anxiety can be dispelled just by reading the book of Psalms. Can't I, I, I challenge you to do that. That's where I go when I need to pray. I've got something going on with the book of Psalms right now. If you read one psalm per day, there's 150 of them. In 150 days, guess what? You're going to know God cares for you. I promise you. You read all 150. Read one a day. You're going to know that God cares for you. For instance, Psalm 37, it says this, Do not fret. It doesn't say it once. It says it three times. Do not fret. Do not fret because of evildoers, not envious or workers of iniquity. It says do not, do not fret. And then as you go down through here, look at all the adjectives in the following verses. Verse 3, it says, Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord and do, do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His, uh, his promises. Verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of, of your heart. Verse 5, Commit your way to the Lord. Also trust in Him and He shall bring it to pass. Verse 7, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers. Just wait because of the man who brings wicked schemes. Uh, uh, to pass. Verse 8, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret only who causes, causes him. And then when you get down here, you get a little farther, he goes down to verse 9. Look what he says in verse 9. For evil deeds shall cut up, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. And look what it says in verse 25. Verse 25, I have been young and now I'm old. I have not yet seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. Man, what a promise. I claim that promise because I'm old. I've been young. How wonderful to know that, uh, that I'm not going to be, and I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his, nor his descendants begging bread, nor his seed begging bread. Jesus offers anxiety-free living. God cares for you. He gives you the results and the picture of the life of a believer all through the book of Psalms that God cares for you. 
But when I, when I begin to trust and walk with Him and pray about everything, worry is eliminated. Philippians 4.6 says, Be anxious for nothing and, and, and all things in prayer and supplication. And old King James says, Be careful in nothing. But the, it says, be, uh, it says um, be anxious in nothing, uh, anxious, uh, in, uh, but in all things in prayer. And here's what I'm saying. If you're anxious about things, you haven't prayed. And here's what I'm saying to you. I'm saying I'm not telling you. I'm not talking about praying on a Mickey Mouse bed. I'm not talking about now laying you down to sleep. I'm not talking about God's good, God's great, make, make us happy. I'm not talking about that. Those are those are awesome. I love to hear my children, my grandchildren say that. There's nothing wrong with those kind of prayers. But I'm talking about the kind of prayers where you get alone with God, just you and Him. Nobody can do this for you. We're so used to everybody doing things. Nobody can do this for you. I'm talking about you getting frustrated on the floor, you and God, and you just giving it all to Him. And you stay there until you hear His voice. Old-time people used to call that simply praying through. I believe that. You pray until you hear it. And then you take, you know, and, and you, you take God's Word and you take it in the book of Psalms if you want to, and take it until you have a rhema that God speaks to you and gives you an answer in the middle of your storm or the middle of that problem. That's what I'm looking for. So we have to understand the priorities of God and also the purposes of God. Because when we don't, when we do, we don't ask why God does this or that or what's happening or why is this corona. Do we understand God's purposes? We don't have to ask why is this coronavirus happening. Why is it happening? Well, you know, James America is not living the way it should be living. Look at Satan. You know, and, and one of the emails and things I got from some of our people they shared with me. One of those things was when when God went into Egypt. He gave them ten plagues. Well, why did he give them ten plagues? Because everything he, ta- he attacked in those ten plagues were things they worshipped. Even the Nile River, they worshipped the Nile River. He attacked all those things. So, so why? Why we, look at the things that that has had to be shut down because of this virus? Sports, uh, finances, businesses. Maybe we need to come to the place that we have church the way He wants to have church. Maybe He's trying to get us to realize how important church is, and we don't just treat it like it's just something else. Well, I know, I, I know, I can't wait to see this place packed. I can't wait to see people saved. You know, the Bible tells us in the Book of Hebrews that we're not to we are not to forsake assembling together with ourselves as a manner of some, and it even goes on. That, but we are to undergird one another as we see that day approaching. Well, what does that mean? That day is approaching. Jesus told us in the, in, that when, the sec, when He got ready to come back, what would happen? Well, here's what would happen. There was going to be, before He came back, there was going to be pestilence. Well, it's happening. It's happening. And so we need to get ready, but we need to do church the way He wants us to do it, not the way we want to do it. And so uh, we need to understand God's priorities. And also, the purposes of God. Because when we do, we ask, why does God do this? And, and I'm telling you, worry then is the failure to understand divine priorities. You know, God may take you through something, and you got to stop from the first and see it, and as you see Him going through it, as you see Him going through you realize, hey, God, this, you're doing something in my life. 
Maybe it's not what James says. James says when you fall into various trials, a trial is something that only lasts for a short period of time. But maybe we get over to Romans 5, and it talks, of, it talks about tribulation. Tribulation is something that lasts a little bit longer. And he says to us over in Romans 5 that tribulation produces perseverance, that we need to persevere through this thing. And perseverance produces character. Only place in the Bible where the word character is used. We need to have character, God's character. Then he goes on to say character produces hope. He gives us hope that we can I believe that. I believe that we keep, we keep our hope in the Lord. He won't give us trouble. You know, but he's trying to get us to see that God is the one who feeds the birds. God is the one who dresses the grass and the flowers. He is the one who knows what you need. He is the one who will give you the kingdom. You and I come under the care of God when we gave our heart to Jesus. First Peter five seven tells us to cast all our care upon Him, for He cares for us. The Apostle Paul, Philippians four eleven twelve says, "Not that in respect I want to say, for I did learn these things in which I am to be content." Verse twelve says, "I have known both to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need." What's he saying? Here's what he's saying. He says, "He's saying sometimes I have a lot, but sometimes I don't have a lot. Sometimes I just have a little." Always have enough. How can you be content? Because your source is then found in Philippians 4.19 that my God shall supply what? All that, all that needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. That's how you get paid there. Our needs in God's hands. Your finances are in God's hands. Your, the, the amount of food you need is in God's hands. The roof over your head is in God's hands. The, your, your health is in God's hands. The length of your life is in God's hands. It's always measured by the eternal. And, and when God is doing something in our life, oh, listen to this. And I hope you understand what I'm saying. That when God allows things to come in our life, what's happening in our life is always measured by the eternal impact it's going to have on us. In other words, it's affecting us now because of what God wants to do in our life when we get to heaven. The Bible says you and I have been seated in the heavenlies. What does that mean? God's already got a picture of what you're going to look like when you get to heaven. And He's molding you and making you, and you're His workmanship. It's God who works in you, both to please and do His good will in you. And He's doing all these things, what? To get you what? That, to make you into that picture that He's got you there because you've been seated in the heavenlies. And so when these things are happening, when all these things are happening, I've got to realize that whatever's happening in my life has an eternal effect upon me of what I'm going to be looking like when I get to heaven. You know, because why? Because I'm under divine priority. I'm under divine priority. If God gave you life, and He did, if God wants you to live, and He does, if He brought you into the kingdom, and He has, then He has a purpose for you to fulfill to fulfill His purpose and His glory, then He will sustain you to fulfill that purpose. God's got a purpose. It's much bigger than you and I. Philippians 1.6 says, Having been confident of this very thing, that He who had begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to perform it. If the Lord were to say to you, we could do great things together if you could just have life. But you see, He's the only one that can give you life. He's the only one. Now, we at all times want to ask, why? Why did, why did this happen? Why are we 
going through this coronavirus. People who are into God's kingdom who, who come and go and die with no contribution, who are not in God's kingdom, who go and come and, and die with no contribution to God's kingdom. But those who are, here are, are fulfilling divine purpose, we have to understand priorities. The priorities of spiritual purpose. You have to understand that the Lord has called you on purpose. Let me say that again. The Lord has called you on purpose. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you as a prophet to the nation. Isaiah says, And now the Lord says, Who formed me from the womb to be his servant. Galatians 1.15, But when I pleased God, He separated me from my mama's womb and called me through His grace. You may be thinking, well, that's not me. That's, that's Jeremiah, Isaiah, and that's Paul. No, it's not. Because, you see, God is no respecter of person. You want a reason to get up every morning? Well, there it is. God called you, and He's got priorities in your life. And the priorities are even in this, this coronavirus. i got to start drinking. That's what I've got to start drinking. I pronounced the virus. You know, we live in a culture that's working night and day to extract from you your true purpose in life. Let me say it again. We're living in a time and a culture today that is trying to pull from you what your purpose in life really is. He has called you, put you into His kingdom. He has regenerated you and put you into His service. And all He wants to do is you to live for His glory. Your life is not about food. It's not about clothing. It's not about making money. It's not about making sure you survive. That's God's priority. God's commitment to you. you do you understand that you are His? And you are to fulfill that purpose that God has placed upon you. Apostle Paul finally heard, well, well done, my good and faithful servant. That meant what? That meant that he had changed his course and the purpose that God had called him to do. When he said, well done, my good and faithful servant, he changed it. Will you get tired in trying to do God's purpose? Yep, I sure will. But our rest comes from Him. Will you be strong? Will I need to be strong? Yep. Strength comes from Him. Well, I need resources? Yep. But He never calls you to do anything. He doesn't first provide the resources. Could I endure hardship in fulfilling the purpose? Yep. But He's promised to go with you all the way. All the way. He will sustain you until the purpose is fulfilled, and then He will take you home. Well, that makes almost sound simple, doesn't it? Born again into this life, Christian life, God gives you purpose. That purpose, and that purpose is fulfilled, he calls you home. That was Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer <coughs> said this. He said, Lord, I finished the work. <coughs> I finished the work that you called me to do, and I'm tired. I want to go home. Two days later, the Lord took him home. Is that not faith? There is also a failure to understand divine provision. You and I don't have to spend our life worrying about if we're going to have enough. 
Our problem is not that we have enough. We want a lot more than we have. Your Father promises to sustain you to the end of His purposes. He promised to sustain you to the end of His purpose. I read a quote by Thomas Watson. He said, This is life is like living in an inn, and you spend a couple of nights there, but you never forget where your home is. Worry is a failure to understand divine order. Uh, verse 20, 25 says this, And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to your stature? If I could add one cubit to your stature, I'd be two stages away from death. Verse 26 also says this, If you then are not able to do, to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? You know what this is about? That we get the idea that we control the length of our life. And we don't. Life is from God. Job 121 says, The Lord gave and the Lord taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord sustains life and He made life. There's even one verse of Scripture in the book of Job that says He, he knows the exact number of days and months and everything else in our life and He doesn't give us one, one day more than He causes to repay us. The Lord sustains us in a life and He made life. He provides for us. And if I don't have the privilege, yeah, if I don't understand that privilege to determine, I don't have the privilege to determine my lifespan. I can't say how long I'm going to live. Worry is not about going to lengthen your life. So what do you, if you worry about it, so what do you, you want to do is not worry. But you know more than anything, worry is a failure to understand God's paternity. What do you mean by that? Think about when you first came to Christ, when you came to the Lord, how your whole perspective was being changed. I begin to think of what are the greatest verses in the Bible and what tells us that this, this great Lord, this God, has, uh, the love that He has for His children. And here's what I found. I found out how deep His love is because John 15, 13, very loved the men under this and laid down His life for His friends. Brother Sackler Pierce said that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. He said that this even means my soul and everlasting life. To call by His name, says John 3, 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Uh, therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Uh, you know, um, I, I've been watching some things on YouTube for you know, people that may be in their, their late 20s or 30s or whatever. Father's Day, the stepfather uh, gave some, uh, you know, uh, and I watched one for a great big old guy and his stepson for his Father's Day, for his birthday present to his But he gave him a paper, and that paper is on source that he had, he actually had his father, without him knowing it, to adopt Jesus. This big old guy. Left the 99, Luke 15, Jesus tells us that to, to give the good gifts, Matthew 7, 11, 12, and 
give to his children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to you? I ask, therefore, whatever you want men to do for you, do also for them, for this is the law and the prophets. He loves you so much, he knows what you have need of even before you ask. Open it. 